Please listen carefully. And now, live from the attic that smells like a basement in McKinney, Texas, it's the Assuming Positions Podcast, featuring four left feet performing a tango of trivia, Kevin and Mikey. Hey everybody, welcome to the Assuming Positions Podcast. Kevin over here. And Mikey over here. And today on the podcast, we are assuming the 2021 film, Dune! Wow, 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 wow. And it's not only Mikey, it's not only myself, we have a very special guest, our resident Dune aficionado. Yeah. Or expert, because he knows more than us. <laughs> it's our buddy Ralph. Hey, Ralph. Hey, guys. All right. So we are going to assume Dune. The new movie that just came out, part one. The now, how do you say? How do you want to say his name? Everyone says his name. Is it Dennis? Dennis Villeneuve. <laughs> Is it Dennis Villeneuve? Pronounce all of the syllables, <laughs> or Denis Villeneuve? I think it's French. I think we you're supposed to forget a couple letters. In I there know, somewhere. right? Always with French. So this is part one of two of the new Dune adaptation. Of course, Frank Herbert's very. We call it very popular. As far as sci-fi goes, yes. Classic. Classic. Yeah. Classic sci-fi series, Dune. Yeah, because yeah, like for somebody that's never read sci-fi and they're like, hey, recommend me a book, that's going to be in the top five of you should start here. Yeah. And I mean, Dune influenced Star Wars in a great way, influenced a lot of sci-fi, really, over the years. And um, most known for a lot of people know Dune from the original movie adaptation. <laughs> from 1984. From 1984, also called Dune. Yep. Most known for having Sting in it. And being directed by David Lynch. And yes, and being directed by David Lynch. But we'll probably talk about that one a little bit as we go through. First, we're going to talk about this one, some of the overarching arc of what's going on in it. A little spoil stuff here and there. But, I mean, this thing's been around for so long. <laughs> it is the story of Dune. Yes. So who's in this, Mikey? Oh, there's a whole heavy hitter list of names. But starting off at the top, we have Timothy Chalamet as Paul Artreides. Rebecca Ferguson as Lady Jessica. Oscar Isaacs, podcast favorite, as Duke Leto, Artreides. Jason Momoa as Duncan Idaho, Stellan Skarsgård. We were talking about the Skarsgård clan recently. Mm -hmm. As the deliciously grotesque Baron Vladimir Hark Harkonnen. I always want to say Harkonnen because there was a band I liked that was called House Harkonnen. Well, the other movie, they said it differently than this one. They okay. say both of them differently in the two movies. Okay. I'm I, In my brain, it's Harkonnen, yeah. but in this new one, they do say Harkonnen. I know. So Baron Harkonnen. And then a Josh Brolin as Gurney Hellick. And I didn't even realize it disappeared in this role as Javier Bardem as Stilgar. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then Sharon Duncan Brewster, can't forget her, as Liet Kynes. Mm -hmm. And then Dr. Yu, Dave Batista. Yeah. I mean, there's the Zendaya, Zendaya. obviously. Zendaya. Ugh, the list goes on and on. There's a lot of good faces in here. Zendaya doing a perfume commercial through the entire movie <laughs> her character's name is chani so it might be it might as well be in a, a, a chanel commercial <laughs> Johnny. that's what it's shot like sometimes it really does look like it his burden his dreams and visions of her so ralph dune i guess um you were first introduced to it via the book the books yes back in um late 70s late 70s 
Yeah, I've been reading Dune every few years for longer than you guys have been around, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and um, first three books to me were the Dune opera. Yep. And then it went political. I got you. And became a little heavy, at least for a teenager. The, I think as I got older, the second three books read better. Gotcha. Because I understood a little bit about the socioeconomic and the political background that Herbert was playing with in those. Yeah, because they're like, I mean, it's a good sci-fi story, but there are a lot of undertones of like political machinations and all environmental concerns, like stuff you would pick up as an older, more mature person. Yeah, there's a lot of the spice is kind of like oil, you know, the desert planet is like Saudi Arabia desert type stuff. There's there oh, there's jihad in here. There's messiahs. Uh, you know, you got it's like a whole Middle East kind of mixture of things that have gone on for centuries. There you go. So that's kind of the backdrop. So But you're a fan of the you're a fan of the Frank Herberts. Did you read any of his sons carrying on? I read the first one, book seven. Yep. And it just wasn't the same. I got you. I just couldn't get into it. Maybe by then I was past. <laughs> I had enough. Because <laughs> I didn't realize, like, there are the four original by Frank, and then there's, like, 17 by his son and Kevin J. Anderson. I was like, there's this many Dunes? I only know, like, the first three. So. What was your introduction to Dune, Mikey? Was it the books, or was it the movie from 84? Uh, I read the books in high school probably, like, twice. Mm -hmm. So I got my start in the books. And then I came. I, I saw the 1984 movie, like, way later, once I realized, like, who David Lynch was, and people mm -hmm. were like, did you know he made a Dune? I'm like, what? Oh. And so I had to go check it out, and it was almost not really a hate watch, but it was like, what is this movie? Like, what did they do? So I have seen the 1984 one, but maybe once and don't remember enjoying it too much okay here's my full disclosure you ready for the full disclosure here this is part give, of the reason why it's good that ralph's here give it to me so my introduction to dune was that 1984 movie and i was like this stinks <laughs> dune stinks why do i want to read the book this is the stinkiest thing since stink <laughs> stink stink stunk i went i went full grinch on dune there you go you know and it was like it was like but it inspired star wars and i'm like okay i'll just watch star wars then you know, so I it really, I mean, that movie, there's a lot of people that like it as an occult movie, but I'm, that's seriously in my, I don't know, Ralph, what do you think of that movie? Because to me, the people who like it, now, I don't know if we'll fight because you might be, I like it, but to me, the people who will like it, like it just to be like alternative. Fair enough. Because it's like, it should be an MST3K movie, in my opinion. <laughs> I watched it and I've watched it more than once, <laughs> but it's almost a chore to watch it i got you and i watch it and like it in its own way because i know the book so well mm -hmm. so i fix what i'm watching <laughs> <laughs> in your brain yeah and when you start looking at the graphics and you realize none of that was computer graphics yep that yeah. was all miniatures and mm -hmm. matte paintings and everything else so then you start looking at the shields these big blocky things that they did <laughs> Well, that was the only way they could do it. Yep. I mean, those were all hand-drawn animations yeah. by frame. Well, I don't know if that's the only way they could do it. <laughs> <laughs> that was the weirdest thing was the shields. Yeah. In, in that. That was the craziest thing. Well, and it was just, it was played very, well, it's David Lynch. Yeah. I mean, it, it was weirder than it needed to be. True. I think. 
yeah, the source material is is kind of weird, but it's not any weirder than most sci-fi, in my opinion. No, not really. not at all. I mean, it is its own thing, but once the rules are laid out and you get a sense of the world, it's really easy to pick up what's going on. And I feel kind of bad and stupid now for dismissing all of Dune because of that movie. It makes sense. Because, though. well, now that I've seen this movie and I've been looking into it more and... I realized that Dune not only influenced Star Wars, it influences tons of sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Warhammer 40,000 steals from Dune like crazy. I believe it. I mean, it is nuts. It is <laughs> yeah. Dune. I, I know, in, in a lot of ways. So it's real interesting. So I'm going to have to go back and actually get into it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read through those books now because I seriously dismiss that it's David Lynch's fault. At 100%. It's funny because it's in the same era as Flash Gordon. It has that soundtrack by Toto, which (laughs) is kind of like the Flash Gordon soundtrack is a rock thing. But I love Flash Gordon because Flash Gordon was almost like supposed to be campy. Yep. Flash Gordon was like a serial, and it was always kind of like a campy thing. Yep. Whereas I guess the thing about Dune is it's not really campy source material, but it was kind of made campy, so... You know, it's almost like a Batman. Thing. It's almost like what they did to Batman, but Batman was endearing too. The old series, yeah, the campy series. But it was written campy. It, yeah, you knew it was campy. Yeah. yeah. But you guys are both forgetting the um, 2000 Sci-Fi Channel series. Oh, they did a miniseries. Yeah, they did a three three shows, like six hours. Okay, miniseries. I never saw it. It was very book driven and. A lot of they almost took the book and did a screenplay from it. Oh, cool. I mean, a lot of the dialogue was straight out of the book. Again, it was low budget, very low budget, made for TV. Yeah, with in Sci Fi Channel back then didn't have any money, <laughs> and so it was almost college production level. Okay, mm-hmm. <laughs> which was a shame because you could see where they were going, and they could have done a lot better, but it just it fell flat. Mm. Okay. That's interesting, though. It's something that it sounds like the midpoint between the David Lynch one and this one, so I'd, I'd be curious to check it out. Okay, so, Mikey, do you want to go kind of through the the plot? Do we want to do the overarching plot and then talk about performances as we go, or sure. do we just want to talk about the plot, the making, and how do you want to structure it? Let's go through, let's go start from the top and then work our way through and hit the highlights. All right, so the plot of this is, is pretty much the plot of the book. Um, there's changes here and there, but I think the overall plot is from the book Mm -hmm. we're dealing with this it's in the far future which is like where warhammer 40,000 steals a lot of it from because warhammer 40,000 is set in like the year 40,000 and this is like what is it like 10,000 or it's crazy well it's 10,191 ag oh yeah which is after guild which is 12,087 benny jesuit Oh. Ah. Which makes it 11,478 AD. Yeah, that's way in the future. (laughs) It took a while to figure that one out today. Just 9,000 years, that makes sense. It's way in the future. So we're dealing with this universe where there's multiple planets, Yep, and they can travel between the planets. And the interesting thing about this movie Mm -hmm. that I think is kind of cool is that, and this is where they kind of have failed in other adaptations of it, is that, and this is what we've complained about in a lot of things, where one thing I like about this, though, I'm not complaining about it, I'm complaining about it in other things, <laughs> is that they don't over-explain what's going on in the world. It's nope. just like, this is how the world is. Everyone in it knows how this is how the world is. So no one's going to explain it to anybody. 
There's going to be no exposition. You know, here and there, you can kind of pull from it and figure it out. But I was able to figure out, listen, I'm coming to this pretty naked. Yeah. I Like I said, I didn't read the books, and I just saw that movie, and that movie was confusing and weird, and I saw it sometime in the 80s when I was young, and I <laughs> uh, didn't know what was going on. So I'm pretty cold on Dune. So I'm almost seeing it not knowing any of this stuff. Gotcha. I am seeing all the tendrils from all the sci-fi that I love in there. Yep. But it was fairly well obvious to me that there's this planet called Arrakis that has this resource on it called spice. And that spice is needed for interstellar travel. Yep. It's given to the navigators, and it's almost like a, uh, a hallucinogenic opens up their third eye so they can use it to see into the future and navigate through hyperspace or whatever. Yep. Which Warhammer 40,000 stole totally. That's totally <laughs> in there. They have that. They have navigators and all that kind of stuff. Does the Warhammer have where if, if just a normal person uses it, it like extends their life and vitality and stuff like that? I don't know. Maybe, but okay. I but I know what they have though is they have well, it's more psychic based. So in Warhammer Forty Thousand, they have the navigators mm-hmm. who are able to navigate through the chaos dimension. Basically, is how you get through there. And that's how you have chaos armies and creatures as they're bleeding out of the chaos dimension. Yep. And that's how you travel through hyperspace. And the navigators use the emperor as the lodestone ah, on Earth. The Stargate. Yeah. <laughs> and so they navigate through knowing where Earth is. Anyway, it's similar but different. But, you know, there's the whole navigator thing. Mm-hmm. So anyway, you can't interstellar travel unless you have spice for your navigators. So it makes the resource very important. Most important in the in the galaxy, in right. the world. We find out, and I love I like how this is done. It, it wasn't done in voiceover. It was very clear to me what was happening. Mm-hmm. That the emperor is like, hey man, House Harkonnen, you have control of this planet, but I'm taking it away from you and I'm giving it to this other house. Yeah. So what's cool is there's houses. The so great like, houses. And which, again, is what they... Battletech used houses, right? Was it Battletech mm-hmm. or Robotech? Which tech? Battletech. Battletech. Yeah, there's so many techs. Again, there's another thing that's like, oh, Dune's influencing so much stuff over here. <laughs> so the Emperor shows up. Well, the Emperor's envoy, I guess, shows up. It's the coolest thing. I, that scene was so cool. Yeah. They You're did. at House Atreides. All the armies lined up. You got these banners. There's Oscar Isaac looking awesome. Uh, there's Thanos looking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you, they're all lined up. And here comes this cool spaceship and the emperor and his entourage, or emperor's envoy and his entourage and with a scroll. And it's like, you're taking over this planet now. You are now in charge of the thief of, of, of Arrakis. Yes. And it's, oh, man, it was really cool. It was a cool way to hit from the jump. Especially because, like... Dennis Villeneuve is famous for Arrival and Blade Runner 2049, so this isn't his first shot at Mm sci-fi. But he brings such an epic scale because we're talking about great houses that are across planets and interstellar travel. It's huge wide shots. The cinematography is beautiful. Oh, yeah, I know. The armies are massive. The ships are massive. But, like, everything has this, like, brutalist look to it, so they're just... No way that thing flies through space, but it's just, like, this big concrete, like, just abomination, but... Uh, the cinematography in this is great, and you see that right away with this whole herald of the change and the proclamation that House Atreides has to go to Arrakis now. Yeah, the visuals in this are overall are great to me. I th- this is a beautiful looking film. 
Yep. Oh, it's Lawrence of Arabia, mm. 2001. Oh, absolutely. I mean, very epic, epic photo. I got 2001 from the music. I like this. The score to this movie in 2001 or give mm. you the same ominous tones or happy tones. This is Hans Zimmer yep. does the score? Yeah. yeah. That's a whole whole subject that we can go into because the score to this movie was absolutely phenomenal. Yes. And he dug so deep into the score. I mean, I don't know if you noticed, but every faction has its own sound. Oh. Every planet mm-hmm. has its own sound. I noticed the planet one. I didn't know the faction. That's pretty cool. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the Harkonnens, they've got a real grind, heavy, metallic sound. The Bene Gesserit. They have a chanting sound, a high-pitched woman sound oh, yeah. in the background. Very and any time you see the Reverend Mother, that's there. Ah. Or when you go to the a Harkonnen becomes the lead of a scene, they take up that heavy grind. Awesome. The Fremen, they have a wispy, windy sound, desert sounds. Yeah, naturalistic, yeah. The Atreides, they have a softer sound, but a little bit militaristic, you know, a marching band type sound. Mm. No, the sound is phenomenal, and I guess House of Trades doesn't really have as prominent of, of a score part, but I did notice the sound in when they use the voice, which is House of Trades is known for, and that effect on the voice. I saw this in the movie theater, and then I saw it again at home, but in the movie theater, like, you felt it go through your body, like, I know why this is a command, like... It's such a cool effect, and I can't get over how rad that sound design is. Yeah, that's kind of our introduction as to to Paul Atreides. Yes, Their last right. name is Atreides, right? Yeah, correct. Their last name is the house name because they're the nobles of the house, and he's there with his mother. And I just again, that's and that's not a grand outdoor scene. That's a little intimate inside scene, and still it looked awesome. The the visuals of this, I'm going to keep talking about it because it was so cool to me because. I love sci-fi, and I I love when it, it looks lived in. That's why I love Star Wars so much. And this is a lived-in looking world. Absolutely. Um, sci-fi that's all clean and stuff. I get it in Star Trek because it's a like a combat ship and everything, but that's that. But there is that kind of clean sci-fi where everything's perfectly clean and nice and all the all the time, and. It just doesn't ever seem as grounded or realistic. I get you. Um, uh, but, but this, it looked lived in. It looked almost medieval, almost Game of Thronesy looking, but it's sci-fi. That's another aspect of the show Don't Tell you mentioned earlier is like, we don't know who House Artrades is, but based, based upon their furnishings and how it looks like a royalty's manner, yeah. like, you know, oh, these are people of means and wealth and luxury mm-hmm. just from the setting. Well, yeah, they show like they show like a, the painting of his grandfather who looks like a matador. <laughs> and then they show like a, like a bullfighting thing going on, yep. a little statue, a little bullfighting statue. And then he's there with him and he's like, ask me for the water. And like, yeah, he's using that voice, which is the where the Jedi mind trick came from. Oh, apparently. Oh, definitely. Um, but it is way cooler way to do it than, you know, just like, these are not the droids you're looking for. You know, it's like, you know, give me the water with all the layers of voice. And you're like, ah, what did he do? And especially because he's learning it. So it, like it's delayed a second. And you're like, what? <laughs> well, and then she, Jessica, the lady Jessica uses it later and it's even better. But yeah. Let me say one more time about the so the the two of them, Timothy Chalamet and Rebecca Ferguson, yes, who play Paul and his mother, they do a lot of heavy lifting. They're together a lot in this. They're this they're the main protagonists mm-hmm. of this movie. For sure. And their chemistry together is great. 
I, I love seeing them both on the screen the whole time. <laughs> it, I thought they were great. What did you think of them and their performances, you guys? The, no, the chemistry is great because there's the whole subplot that Lady Jessica is part of the Sisters of the Bene Gesserit, which is a creepy sort of witchy sort of mm-hmm. thing. And for her being a royal lady, she still has, you can tell there's something mysterious about her. Like she has some of her own plot going. So it's like, what is her deal? But no, like like you said, they spend a lot of time as a duo going through this movie and always on point. Mm-hmm. There's not a weak, weak link between the two of them. They played off of each other very well. Mm-hmm. And we got to see a little bit of the human side of both of them. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I think they went a little bit too deep. Okay. Lady Jessica, she's the Bene Gesserits are, are some pretty badass women. Yes. I mean, they're fighters, they're politicians, they're spies, they're all kinds of things. And she was a little wimpy, I thought, mm. in the show. Mm. She she broke into tears every time you turned around. True. Mm. Whereas in the, the books, she was a formidable woman. I got gotcha. you. I mean, when Leto died, there were some things there. But in the day-to-day, she was not. And Paul was played a little bit soft as well. Mm. Yeah, because he's supposed to be like the heroic. Like I don't remember the reluctance in the book. He's like, I don't want the power. He was always like, I'm next in line. Give it to me. Well, there's a a line in the book about bodyguards, and he was trained from basically birth to fight for himself because the best bodyguard for someone is themselves. True. And so he was trained in the military and everything from day one. And so when he was a little bit soft in times, sure, he didn't want to fight. He was Hey, I don't want to fight today. I want to play. I don't, I'm not in the mood. <laughs> well, mood are for cattles and women, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so that was a little bit of a change from the book. But, I got you. But their their interplay, I thought, was outstanding. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Speaking of fighting, though, this is, happens early on. We get the weapons master training Paul to show that he does have skills. What do you guys think of the fight and the bodysuits? Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, this was like an improvement. This was like what we we're talking about in the... And the David Lynch one with the weird see-through, not see-through blocks, you couldn't tell what was exactly happening, you know, and the way they do the shields in this one was so cool. Yes. You know, where it was like blue is protecting, red is, and I didn't, it's so, it's so cool to me that they, they really, again, this is how they showed and didn't tell why they're using like melee weapons in this world Mm -hmm. instead of like projectile weapons or lasers or anything like that. Uh, So, because I guess when lasers hit the shield, it explodes and kills everyone in an area (laughs) and then projectile weapons are going too quick so that they won't get through the shield. Yeah. Uh, So you have to go slow. Unless you have one of those cool little like darty things, which we see later that goes through slow. The hunter seekers, yeah. No, the co- the color coding, the the, the the CGI on this is astounding because you get the sense of, oh, fast strikes, it goes blue. But if you sit there and hold it and you're menacing, it starts to vibrate and you mm-hmm. get the cool sound design. Ooh, so cool. When they did it perfectly with Paul when he was suiting up. You know, he hit his hand quick, it yep. went blue, it didn't go through, and he went slow and it turned red. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's all they needed. Show, yeah. don't, show, don't tell. Three seconds, and you're like, oh, I know how the shields work. Yeah, mm-hmm. Gurney mentioned something a little bit later in the fight, but he almost didn't need to. It, nope. We understood. Yeah, I, uh, there's so much show, not tell in this, which is funny because that's one of the major criticisms I've seen of this film from a lot of people is that there there's not enough telling, which I think is cuckoo <laughs> because 
I mean, it's one of our main banners we wave on this podcast. Yes. Is show us, don't tell us. That That's what books are for, is to tell. <laughs> you know, what movies are to show. It's a visual medium. Yeah. So uh, it, it's, but I literally have seen that criticism that people are like, I'm confused. To fight back against that with you, like there are two ma- there are two really big info dumps in this movie, but they're narratively they're set up in a framework that Paul is learning a lesson, like he's doing his studies as he should as a young noble. You know, he's learning about the kingdoms he's or the, the lineage he's inheriting, and so you do get an info dump. But it's like, oh, I'm learning as a student instead of just being like, here's this. Yeah, but even that was done in a show way because it was like through holograms True. and, you know, that he could interact with. And I thought it was really neat the way it was done. It wasn't just like someone blathering on. It was like an interactive holographic thing. It was really, I don't know, it was a really neat way to do that. Well, yep. that was one of the problems with the the 84 movie. Yep. It was, the, the narrator was in the background all the time. And it was like, well, wait a minute, <laughs> you know. Didn't they also have like the characters in that movie do their internal monologue, yes, like yes. as voiceovers? Yes, apparently that <laughs> apparently that comes from that comes from a stu- That was a studio thing. That's one of the reasons David Lynch kind ah. of doesn't want to, that to be on his resume. Gotcha. That movie because they took it away from him, and they wouldn't let him do some of the things he wanted to do. And I guess part of it was is that he wasn't doing as much telling as they wanted to. Gotcha. So they were literally using, I think they brought people in to do those, like after. Mm -hmm. So that's why there's all these scenes of people just kind of like sitting there like looking, because I don't know if they slowed the film down so they could just kind of be like, hmm, (laughs) you know? Gotcha. I'm thinking about this right now. There you go. Yeah, it was odd. But like for certain things, you don't need it. There's a scene that comes up after we see the the fight montage. We like I said, there's the sisters of the Ben Jesserit, and uh, Lady Jessica brings her son to meet them and sort of get tested. And this is where we get the awesome Dune line: "Fear is the mind killer. I shall not fear." But this whole scene, I like. If you don't know Dune, you don't know what's going on. This old witch lady is like, "Put your hand in this box." He puts his hand in the box, and then she's like, "All right, poison needle to your neck," and you're like, "What?" She's like, instant death. If you move or flinch, don't move or flinch. And then it's all just soundtrack and facial expressions, no conversation. But you get a sense that he's feeling intense pain and he's mm. overcoming it. But you're getting all the sensations. You, like, you, you know what's going on without them having to say anything. It's just like really well done, but also super creepy. That scene was great because you get to really see the, the voice used in that one. Yep. Where she's like, get over here. And it went all blurry and he's just like, Whoa. he's just there. Yep. That use of a cut scene there. Yeah. They didn't follow him. He was standing there. It was sort of like they did with Jessica in the water. Yeah. It was just happened. And like the person almost went into a little bit of a trance and all of a sudden they found themselves in the other spot. It was like, well, what the heck just happened? How did I get over here? Which, I mean, visually is how you would... if. Someone who was using the voice on you, you'd probably have lost time. Be like, I don't remember doing that command. Yeah. Oh, so awesome. Yeah. So you just said that if someone doesn't know Dune, they wouldn't know what was going on. I don't really know Dune. And I didn't really, like, I I didn't feel like I was confused at all. Okay. I could tell it was a test of some kind. Yeah. Well, she had, she did tell him that she did make the line, an animal will gnaw off its leg to escape the trap. Yep. A human will stay to get the person that, set the trap. Yep. And mm-hmm. so he I'm testing you to make sure that you can 
you're human. I also like, I mean, you can follow the scene, absolutely, but they're hinting at like the whole subplot of Paul being the next, the one, the Messiah, the prophet, whatever mm-hmm. label you want to get it, the savior, because he has a whole bunch of different names throughout this movie and they use all of them and they never really explain them. So I was just wondering if that was like, I mean, I could see how that might just be a, a detail that goes by, but. It didn't, it did. I guess I'm a good test subject because I'm not that. You know, because I don't remember that old David Lynch movie. I remember seeing it going, this is dumb and being like, oh, that's Sting in his underwear. And <laughs> that's about it. That's all I really remember from it. So, yeah, I was never I was never really confused. And I can't say I was ever confused while I was watching this. That's awesome to hear. So I, I could tell what was happening generally. And it's kind of like, I like the fact that there's more lore there. That's not all explained True, because, and I don't know if that's because I'm a star Wars kid because star Wars has a lot of lore. That's not on the screen. Yes. That got explained over the past 30 years, you know, just by like books and comic books and just stuff online. All, all this stuff got explained later. So there's all this lore, yeah. you know, that that you can dig into. You can find out all this stuff that is more than the movie, and that's kind of what's happening here. Is like I can go like, oh wow, this movie was really cool, mm-hmm. and oh, there's a book, and there's all this lore, and there's all, all there's all, they've done comic books, and they've done so much stuff, and so you can dig. There's already wikis on every on Dune and stuff. So you start digging in, and you start learning about all the stuff in there for sure. So I guess I kind of like benefit from unlike ralph who can see the relationship between the mother and son there and be like "Eh, it's a little different than it was in the book but i'm just like i don't know i mean this seems awesome to me (laughs) well one thing on that scene that i thought they really missed a line okay when she was done with the test when she pulled the the gom jabber (laughs) the gob jabbar away from his neck she goes ah no girl child has ever suffered that much pain and lived. Ah. And if I remember right, and it's it's been a while since I've read the books, there was a line follow-up on that. I must have wanted you to fail, I think. I think she said that. Mm. Now, when she's walking out to the spaceship for the Reverend Mother to leave, yep. there's a little bit of a... They sounded like they were going to go down that mm-hmm. and lost it in editing. <laughs> well, like, they, they do mention, like... The mother reverend, the head one, uh, like expresses her doubt. Like, you can't be sure. Yes, he passed the test, but, you know, maybe he wasn't tested hard enough. But here's what I'm, the, the line that caught my curiosity was that she chastises Lady Jessica is like, you should have, your orders were to have a daughter. Yeah. But you chose to have a son? Yes. How, what? Well, the Benny Jesuit can control every muscle and cell in their body. Uh-huh. So they can choose the gender of, their offspring. Yes. And they offspring. can control every single muscle in their body individually. And we'll see in the book two, if you want me to spoil that, or movie part two, they can actually change drugs uh-huh. on the molecular level mm. in their system. Oh. Mm. So choosing the sex of a child, is that's that's easy. That's, <laughs> they, they don't explain it. It's a no. passing line. And I was like, did I hear what I just think I heard? Okay. Yeah. Wow. That's That's cool. So that's the big overarching thing we, we said earlier is that House of Trades is like now you're taking over this planet, you're taking over the spice trade, mm-hmm. and then Oscar Isaac, the dad, Baron 
right? He's a baron. Uh, Duke Leto. Duke. He's a duke, not a baron. The other guy's a baron, right? Yeah, correct. Okay, that's right. The the duke is like is like this is great for us. He's like we can learn desert power because we know how we know all these other powers, but we don't know desert power. Ooh, Ooh and what are you talking about? Okay, whatever, Dad. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be king. I kind of want you know, and you, you say that's not how it was in the book, but I I kind of I, I kind of like the way he was played as like ah oh, man, come on, because what he wanted to be is he wants to be Dakota. Right. Yes. Or Duncan? No, Duncan. Duncan. Duncan, Idaho. Oh, wrong name. Wrong, wrong place. Wrong. Wrong. <laughs> wrong, <laughs> wrong universe. Wrong state. <laughs> um, he wants to be Duncan, Idaho, who's the character who's played by Aquaman. Jason Momoa. <laughs> yeah. Charming as ever. And adds a little bit of the um, w- what we expect in our um, modern sci-fi films. The little bit of like. I don't know if we want to call it like winking to the camera, a little sarcasm, a little bit of that Star Wars, a little bit of that Marvel, a little bit of the Han Solo, a little bit of the Ant-Man. Yeah. He's like, oh, you're getting muscles. He's like, really? He's like, no. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of stuff. They uh, reminded me of a brotherly love on the film. Yes. Absolutely. I mean, and you know, take all three of them. You take Duncan, you take Gurney Hollick mm-hmm. and Paul. They, they look like three brothers on the screen. Absolutely. When they when he lands there before they go out and to see the spice fields and the three of them are walking back, sort of playing grab ass, having fun, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And it, it was like, okay, there's something there. It's a tight unit. Yeah. And so that's the, the, I don't, I don't know if that's what they were going for here, but what I took from it is that like, yeah, my dad's great. I love him. He's an example, but he's not as cool as grandpa was who fought bulls. Yep. Cause I think grandpa, would like Aquaman better than you, Dad, because you're a little like, oh, I'm a politician, blah blah, bore bore. You know, he's yeah. like, he's like, I want action. You know, I'm a man of action. And Dad's like, you know, no, no, you're you're an heir to this. So it made sense, absolutely. Whether that's in the book or not, it made sense here. Well, it's the hero's journey, exactly. I mean, in book after book after book, we we see it in Star Wars and mm-hmm. Lawrence of Arabia. We see it in. You know, the old uh, Robin Hood, there's this, the hero journey where you start out with, you know, somebody that's reluctant. Exactly. And then he has to go through all the stages to come up and and be the hero in the end. He's got to get a setback. He's got to meet a muse. He's got to develop powers. He's got to return to the the origins. Yep. Joseph Campbell, what up? Yeah, Joseph Campbell. (laughs) Within this, we're also introduced to the other house that used to have control of the spice train house harkonnen we meet the baron of house harkonnen played by stellan skarsgård so wonderfully creepy so much of a better way to make him float than in the in the david lynch version <laughs> which it looked like he it looked like willy wonka where he like <laughs> where he drank that fizzy drink yeah it was ridiculous but this this time they put in that there's some kind of technology which later we see duncan idaho using it's like some kind of anti-grav belt yep. thing. Yeah, you can uh, see him up his spine. Yeah. So he has like a lot of them, I guess, because he's heavy. I guess the, the I guess the belt determines by weight. I don't know, but anyway. <laughs> but man, Stellan Skarsgård, they play this. This is this is um Marlon Brando from Apocalypse Now. Oh, oh without sure. question. Yeah. Or Island of Dr. Moreau. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. It's fat Marlon Brando. <laughs> fat Brando for sure. Well he he did the Brando scene where he 
put his hand on his bald head and came down his face, just like in Apocalypse yeah, Now. Absolutely. I mean, what did you think of this performance? I, I mean, we talked about with Skarsgårds, we can't go wrong with us. But again, I thought this was, I thought this was great. A lot of people complain that he wasn't gross enough because he's pretty gross in the book. But this guy seemed pretty gross to me. It is more subtle because, like, go look at the 1984 one. Yeah, he's he's got, got, like, postules yeah. and, like, open wounds, and he's, like, deliberately visually gross. This is more grotesque. Like, he's absurdly overweight. It looks like he's melting in every scene yeah. that he's in. He's sweaty. He's pale, yeah. like, sickly looking. But he still has a commanding presence, and he mm-hmm. still has that voice, and it's menacing, and it's ominous rather than just being... Oh, those are the over-the-top bad guys. It's like, I want power and I want my spice. It's it's like, no, we have plans and machinations and I'm going to float like a worm over this table and and and, 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 and get in your face. Yeah, he's creepy. It's it's cre- yeah. it's more like a, the, the grossness is more of a predator. He's like a, sure. you know, of like all the bad kinds of predators you can think of. He's like a serial killer type. That type of just like, oh, very much. Yeah, so. he was a bad guy even without the grotesqueness. Yeah. You could take that away, and he was still a, an evil, yeah, person and plans within plans. Yeah, oh. but the main thing, and this is where we see Dave Bautista as his nephew. Is that what what he is? Yes. yes. Yeah. And part of the thing is, is like, hey, why the spice trade get pulled away from us? Basically, this is all machinations of the emperor, right? Absolutely. This is like, hey. House Atreides is getting too powerful and popular, and I can't have that because it's a threat to my power as the emperor. So I'm going to start a war. I'm going to send them to an un- uninhabitable planet. Yeah, bait the trap. Yeah, and boy, does it work! Way to go, Emperor! You're like you're like on it. Now, I guess the the emperor shows up eventually in in the Dune in book books? two. We'll see. Okay, okay, cool. And his daughter in oh. part two of the movie or book two? Part two of the movie. That's right. Yeah. yeah. The end of book one, he's, yeah, he's in the next movie. He will be very prominent. Awesome. Him and his daughter both. Um, but no, this is when we finally, they, they pack up, they pack up Caladan, they pack up House Atreides, and it's on to their new home locale, the desert planet Arrakis. I like the way they did the, they didn't spend too much time on the trip. They showed them packing. Yep. They showed Paul walking around and his dad walking around, basically saying goodbye to the planet. Mm-hmm. And then there were Dune mm-hmm. or Arrakis. <laughs> I mean, they they were there. They didn't waste a lot of time on a spaceship traveling, going up and going down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They just yeah. were there. And it's really cool looking. The, the whole facility, it almost looks kind of like Desert Mayan or something. I don't know. It, like, it was really cool. I get, I get two vibes. I get Eastern European brutalism movement, which yeah. is sharp edges, hard, right, right, hard right. concrete slit windows. But it also, like, for being in a desert, it's kind of like the, the shelters they used to build when they do bomb tests out in the desert. You know, you got the little <laughs> slit of windows. You know, it's like a fortress, but it's like the sparse living because there's not much out here. Yeah, it was a, it was really cool again. And man, I love the I, I love all the tech in here. Those ornithopters were the like the greatest. Oh, that's I I almost wet myself. Um <laughs> 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 uh, that they finally got it right. Oh the, the nice. TV show and the eighty four movie, they neither one of them got it. They got the dragonfly on this one. Mm-hmm. And it the special effects on the blades ramping up and coming up to speed was just phenomenal. Yeah, I thought, and they 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 kind of look like um, like attack helicopters. Yes, um, but they also look like dragonflies. Yep. 
And you can tell that I don't. The sound design was great. It it had it had some helicopter in there, but it had other stuff in there too. Very much so. So you could you could almost hear all the wings. It was really cool. And the, there was a lot of credit um, Villeneuve for this. There's a lot of foreshadowing, subtle foreshadowing in this. For sure. Because at one point, Duncan Idaho talks about, like, the stabilizers are kind of loose on this one. And then that, that plays out later <laughs> when he like, we lost our stabilizers. Then there's a lot of stuff where, and this was me doing research on the interwebs, where there's the... House of Trades history of bullfighting, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of bull visuals. And I guess Harkonnen is like a bull, like, like that root word is like from bulls. Oh, okay. So I think it's something from Dune, too. There you go. It's in there, but you have to like really know what's going on to mm-hmm. know that's in there, that Herbert put it in there. There you go. And Villeneuve said, like, I'm a huge fan of Dune. So it's interesting. We should talk about this for one second. You have, you have you noticed lately that it seems like in you know for all of the flaws that Hollywood's doing, it seems like they're finally getting like the fact that hey, if we give these properties to someone who actually loved and respects the properties, we're going to get a better product overall. Because I have a feeling that David Lynch didn't know from Dune when they gave it to him. And if they did, you were saying like it doesn't surprise me that the studio took it away and tried to studio it up too. Yeah. Yeah, it's you could tell he knew the books inside yeah. and out. And um, our sound design guy, he was a big Dune fan as well. They were both big fans of the books from childhood. Awesome. So they were going to make sure it was right. You know, and if if it's just a job, yeah, you might work eight to five on it. <laughs> yeah. If you're in love with it, you do this 24 hours yeah. to make whatever it takes to make it good. I don't know where that switch happened, but that switch has happened, and it really seems to be... The, the smart thing to do. Marvel. Yeah, I think you're right. Yep. I think it, we can probably credit John Favreau and that whole movement. Because it like, and especially like in the case of Dave Filoni and stuff, and I'd imagine Dennis Villeneuve for Dune, like you could, you could read Dune and say, okay, I'll make this a movie and just hit the beats and not really get Dune. It seems like he understands Dune, you know, like on, on all the philosophical level, all the politics underneath, like all the subplots and foreshadowing are there. When it really could just be like, hey, let's put Sting in it and they can fight with, you know, Chris Knives. Like, it could just be a, a checkbox Dune, but this is not it. This is the person that understands the lore and appreciates it. Yeah. When he filmed part one of six or seven. Okay. I, to me, he was setting up things for a year down the road. Absolutely. Or three or four or five movie. So he was setting all that up ahead of time. Now, is it true that he made this without even knowing he'd be able to do the second part? Yep. That's crazy. They didn't confirm that he got the part two until, like, I think the first weekend box office numbers came in. That's crazy. Yeah. It's a bet, but you can tell, I mean, they're giving him time to tell the story, and I'm glad we're getting a part two because he's putting everything in there. Yeah. So So they're, they're there. They arrive. I guess Duncan Idaho's already been there. And has made contact. He scouted ahead. With the Fremen. The Fremen, the, the natural people of Arrakis. The blue-eyed people who live on Arrakis who just suck in the spice every day, I guess. Because <laughs> it's just floating around. Right. Who have, uh, we got that cool, like the hologram thing where Paul sees that they have this crazy way of walking because this is where the sandworms out there. And this like this is where sandworms come from. Shai Halud. Yeah. <laughs> 
It's tremors. Tremors. You think of Beetlejuice, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I know. Absolutely. Just so much influence, so much with this sandworm thing. So how'd you guys think the sandworms were handled? Oh, very well. Very well. When he finally came, when Paul and Jessica were making the desert crossing Mm -hmm. and they ran from the worm. Yep. And then it came up and stopped and you could see its mouth and the balin. You know, it didn't have big teeth like some of the other dune worms you've seen in movies. Yeah, it's not a sarlacc. Yeah, it's 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 a balin. It's a it's a whale. Yeah, it's a desert whale. A sand that whale. It's eating the plankton that's in the sand. Yeah. So, no, I thought they did it very well. That's that scene where I guess that scene where the harvester is getting swallowed. I guess that's in the book. Yes, mm-hmm. and and I that was also in the. A David Lynch movie, and I guess all this is the only place where all three of them line up. I guess all the book scene and the scene in the Lynch movie and the scene in this movie are all almost exactly the same. Yep, and they're done. This like, <laughs> like I like I was reading that some people were like, well, the the David Lynch thing, it got that one scene right where the harvester gets swallowed. Well, they had to because that set up the Duke's personality more than anything else. Whereas it was a Harkonnen, they would have been more worried about the lost spice. Yes. The Duke was worried about the his people. Yeah. He's like, he how many was, can we get on their ships? Yeah. I'm going to take care of the people. I'm To hell with the ship. I'm going to take care of my people. Mm-hmm. And you can even see Layette Hines look at him. It's like, really? You're worried about the people? You'll put your son's life at risk to save people. Strangers. Yes. And there's a man that can demand loyalty. Mm. Yeah, important part. <laughs> That's why we have Ralph here. There you go. <laughs> yeah, we get Paul outside of the ship, and he trips on Spice for the first time and starts getting more messages about being the prophet. But yeah, that scene you were talking about where they're with his, with his, with his, with his mom and the Shai Halud comes up, like it looks like a giant eyeball. It looks like a void. It looks like a sandworm all at once. Ugh. And those teeth which we learned a little bit earlier in the movie, make Chris knives. Oh, so neat. <laughs> it all ties together. Oh, there's one thing that was really cool, well done, is he had a vision, and you knew he was having a vision, the way he fell to his knees, and he's looking off in a 10,000-meter stare. Yep. But they didn't break continuity of what was going on mm-hmm. to show the vision, which would have ruined the scene. I got you. They waited till he got back and was talking to his mom, Lady Jessica, and then they cut to that scene. Oh, yeah. And that was well done. I thought it it flowed a lot better. It didn't break it up. Yeah, because there was a lot of uh, um, intensity in that scene. There was, a, you know, there's the, well, you got to get him out of here before the sandworm. And, it's going to be here in a minute. Yeah, that, yeah if they would have broken it that, That's a good one, Ralph. I didn't even <laughs> pick up on that. And, and just the flashbacks in general or his dreams, because, you know, it, that the whole theme is dreams, but... They change every once in a while. We get a repetition of the things that are important, but as he progresses as a person, we get to unlock more dreams, and it's really cool how they space them out. I'm with you. And his his visions have their own score. It's different from the rest of the scores. So when he's in a vision, it's got a different score than day-to-day life. A subtle cue to let you know. I love it. Mm-hmm. We also see when, when they arrive, we kind of skip this part, but when they arrive, all there's Fremen there who are like already calling Paul the Messiah. Yeah, the Lisa and Al-Gab. Yeah, and, and he's like, what the heck is going on? And Lady Jessica's like, I know what's going on. It's all part of my plan, <laughs> you know? <laughs> 
and then also we get to meet the Harvey Bardem as the head of the Freeman, right? That's it. Which yeah. and we get another little fun. I like the fun things. I like. I just you know he spits. And is is that in the book? Yes, the spinning. Oh, oh cool. yeah, yeah, definitely. And in the book though, Paul catches the meaning. Yeah, and, and the because he goes, "Thank you for the gift of the water." Ah, not Gern or Duncan. Duncan, yeah, yeah. Duncan catches it because he's been spending time with them. Right. Yeah, but it it, it was. All of the the actors that they have in here are top level, top tier. Mm-hmm. I just, I, I mean, we've been loving Oscar Isaac and Moon Knight, and I love him everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's like the just the he's like how just it was a perfect like how dare you spit on <laughs> how dare you and and you know and Duncan I was like well, hold on hold on hold on you know culture clash hold on it's okay. <laughs> I like how quick they are to draw swords. So. <laughs> I and it was also funny to me. I don't know if you noticed this. I don't know if this was a choice or if, if Oscar Isaac can't spit properly, but he doesn't spit properly. Yes, <laughs> like you know, Javier Bardem does good, and then Duncan Idaho does good, and then he does like a. <laughs> it was like a, and it was like how a noble would spit. Like I've never spit exactly. in my life before. It'd be hilarious if it's actually just Oscar Isaac who doesn't know how to spit. <laughs> but it does fit that he's he's higher nobility. When's the last time he spit? When he was like 12? Yeah, you know? right? I don't know if I noticed that right away. I was like, he doesn't know how to spit. There's one meme I have seen from this movie, and somebody edited that scene, and it just keeps spitting. Like, they never resolve it. Like, this guy spits, and it spits again, and spits, and they keep spitting, and it goes on for way longer than it should. <laughs> Whoever made that, it's a real good one. Oh, my gosh. Hilarious. Well, one of the things in the meeting we, we missed, too, when they first arrived is when they met the Mentat. Oh, yes. And then they didn't dis- really explain who he was. Now, he did a computation back in Iraq, or, mm-hmm. or on, excuse me, in Caledon, mm-hmm. when he asked, how much does it cost? His eyes glaze over. Awesome. But they're com- human computers. Mm-hmm. Since they don't have computers in this world, because they had their uh, they had their Terminator War <laughs> <laughs> and uh, did away with all computers sometime in that nine thousand year period. Yes. Yeah. So they um, well that's in the books. There's they go back. You, oh, okay. you can go back and actually read about the those wars. And I like that, but I like that they don't explain that though, mm-hmm. because also if they're smart and if they're thinking, I mean, this like sets up like we can do more stuff. Mm-hmm. We can do a movie about that war or something like that. Exactly. You know, and then you'll know what a mentat is. Right. Which is also, it's funny because that's in Fallout, mentats. Oh, there you go. <laughs> mentats. another and- reference. See, I'm doing effects so much stuff. Well, here's. Makes it a classic. Here's another drop that they did is Paul was being trained by Jessica mm-hmm. with all the Reverend or the uh, Benny Gesserit secrets. Yes. Arthur was training him to be a mentat. Ah. And. There's a scene in the book where he asks him, says, you know, have you ever thought, of, would you like to be a mentat? Would you like to start mentat training? And Paul goes, well, you have to start that as, as an infant. And then Paul steps back and says, ah, <laughs> I see that you have been training me. And at this time in my age, I have to become an active participant. There you go. So basically a Duke that's a Bene Gesserit has all those powers mm-hmm. plus the mentat powers. Mm. So he has a lot more going for him, plus his dad and everybody training him as a military officer. Mm -hmm. He's turning into the one. Neo from Matrix. (laughs) So then there's an assassination attempt on Paul. Oh, no. 
Oh, yeah, this is where we get the Hunter Seeker. Yeah. Ooh, so neat. It is neat. And again, it's like, oh, George Lucas, you used that in the prequels, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. He's were creepy crawly centipedes there. Yeah. But still. Same. Same. Same, same. And this is where stuff really starts hitting it. You know, we get, this is where it starts ramping up, which is kind of neat because this is like the middle of the movie. Yes. Where we get all of a sudden, like, everything's ramping up. Everything's going crazy. Harkonnen is like, gets like this mercenary group. But that seems crazy. Not just a mercenary group. They're the personal army of the empire. The emperor's personal army. The emperor's elite. What was up with the, do you know what was up with the upside down crucified guys? Nope. Okay. The planet where they're trained Uh is similar to Dune, except it's a wet planet. Very mm. harsh conditions. Water power. And it's <laughs> it's the desert or it's the um, emperor's prison planet. Oh. And so basically you survive and you become a soldier or you die. Oh. To, and that builds a very cohesive army because oh. you were the best of the best. And so those were the recruits that failed. Oh. And so, you know, they bled them out and then they give them the, the prayer the throat singing, throat prayer. singing. Oh, <laughs> that is like that whole thing. I was like, I was like, oh, this is like everyone's like, make a Warhammer forty thousand movie. I'm like, you just did <laughs> that right there. Is like straight up what is in Warhammer forty thousand, which they obviously stole from Dune. <laughs> um, but seeing it visualized, it was that was super. That was really cool. Absolutely. And now we get further information on the plot with with Harkonnen and the Emperor. Like we know they're going after Atreides. Yeah. And then they they attack. Man, that was an awesome battle. Oh, the, some of the visuals in this were just over the top. The palm trees on fire? <laughs> the palm trees that cost uh, five, the, yeah. the water of five men every day? Yeah. But they got the, the visuals right on the, the ships dropping the bombs that fell slow. Oh, yes. And I don't know if you'd noticed, but they'd go through the shield and explode, mm-hmm. and the fire would go out inside the shield all the way out to the sides and then the shield generator would fail and then it would be in a second explosion but it contained the explosion for a while that's it which was really cool and it's got such a like cinematography again it's got such a it's a sci-fi movie but it looks like game of thrones because this is a a invasion that's happening at night and everything is only lit by fires and explosion Mm -hmm. and it just oh it's so massive and And just a fight with swords oh that's it (laughs) yeah and it's cool to see, like, we, we saw the body shields in the little training montage earlier, but now we see them in action yeah. when they're clashing, and you just see these flashes of blue and yeah. red. You're like, oh, that guy's dead. Oh, that guy's okay. Oh, that guy's yeah. dead. Yeah, man. It was really cool. I thought there were a few too many lasers being used or energy weapons. Gotcha. Because as you brought up, if a shield's hit with an energy weapon, you get in a nuclear explosion at both ends. There you go. Oh. <laughs> Not only the who you hit but who shot it too Mm. so i thought they were a little free with that especially when they're chasing gurney around when he's flying the ornithopter yep they're trying to shoot him he's like wait a minute he has a shield on because we just saw the shield Mm. maybe it's different in the air they're figuring he's flying around (laughs) or there's probably some explanation like the bombs that make it through the shield there's probably some these are special lasers they're they're shield repellent lasers (laughs) i don't know but so paul and jessica escape into the desert and then the suits. Talk about the suits, Ralph. Still, oh, suits. still, still suits. Yeah. Talk about uh, cool technology. 
you know, you have to wonder if uh, the military is working on something like that right now. <laughs> Ultra hydration and filtration right. suit. Whereas they wick away all the moisture from your skin, mm -hmm. but then process it, clean it. Uh, urine and feces is also processed. And your legs moving actually powers the suit. So it's no external power source. That's it. And then it water comes up into catch pockets that you drink from a little straw. And you lose a thimble full of water a day. That's it. I mean, that's it. You spend a lot of time in the desert. <laughs> so we do get to see when the... So Paul and Jessica get captured. And then we do get to see Jessica use the voice mm -hmm. and kind of show that she can do some stuff. Yes. So there's that. I yeah. know you complained that she didn't seem formidable, but she did in that part. Oh, she definitely did. She killed that one guy or both those guys with the knives. Yeah. Okay, so here's a question, though. So there's the deaf guy that's part of the crew that kidnaps them. Is that intentional so he's impervious to... To the voice, Okay. Right. Mm -hmm. that's, see, that's they never explain it, but that's super smart. Also, fun to see a deaf guy on the bad guy team. Be like... Oh, <laughs> Mikey. Yeah. But speaking of sound cues, like, Paul has his own voice effect, but this is the first time we really get to see Jessica use her voice, and she's well into her power. She knows what she's doing. And it sounds evil and witchy. There's a high-pitched screech to it, but also a low bass like distortion to mm -hmm. it. Oh, kill him. Give me your knife. It's like, ah, okay. <laughs> yes, ma'am. <laughs> yeah, and at the same time, Duke Leto gets a, is betrayed by his, his doctor. Yeah, he's betrayed by his doctor, but then also given a poison tooth. <laughs> and given the poison tooth, and that doctor also gives the bug-out bags to uh, Jessica and Paul, which is yeah. the reason they survived so long, so... Again, for a, it, this is sort of a B-plot character, but he's given a backstory, and he only expresses in a few lines, and you're like, okay, I understand this character's yeah, his, motive. His wife has been captured, and he, you know, his, the Harkonnens have his wife, so well, he has to do what they say. We made a deal, because that's what the Harkonnens do. Yeah. They're going to honor it for sure. And his yeah. wife's a Benny Gesserit as well. Oh, mm. didn't know that part. Yep. But then he, <laughs> then the Harkonnens betray him, too. It's like... Oh yeah, you you know where your wife is? Go see her in the in the other world or wherever you go when you die. Yeah, it's the the legalese wording is like I said I didn't say I'd bring her back. I said you could join her. Yeah, stab. Oh man, what a creep! And then we get like a whole second part of a movie with the whole wandering through the desert and meeting Fremen. Yes, and then this is where we kind of see that his visions aren't exactly what's going to happen. True. Because he gets challenged by the Fremen, he has to fight him, and, and we finally meet Zendaya for real this time, <laughs> instead of just in visions, and she's not doing, you know, cologne commercials anymore. Um, and just, again, this is showing, not telling. We get to see the difference in the, the culture clash, where he's like, you know, do you yield? And it's like, we don't yield. This is the fight to the death. Ooh. And his vision was that he was going to get killed by him, but he didn't. He didn't. But... I guess this it's almost metaphorical because he's like he's like losing his old he's he is dying. Paul is dying and he's turning into That's it. And the, that's that's yeah. what the creepy voice is saying into his mind. Right. It's like a life for a life. You must yeah. die so that the, the Madadib can rise yes, or whatever. Exactly. Lisa and Gob. When we saw Jessica fight against Stilgar, mm -hmm. who is one of the best fighters of all the Fremen. And we know he, the Fremen are the best fighters in the universe. Yep. And she took them without any problem. And it's, so we do see a 
a real badass Jessica there. Mm-hmm. And I mean, she took him without even <laughs> breaking a sweat. And he, so. he recognized it. Game recognizes the game. He's like, oh, I didn't know you were practicing the wielding ways. <laughs> yeah. That was a real interesting. Like I, this, the, the whole like things with like visions and, and it, 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 it can be done in such a confusing way. But it isn't. They do it so well in this one. Like how you were saying earlier, Ralph, that they wait till later to explain the vision and everything in that one scene. And here, there's so many movies and shows and things I've seen where they do visions and they're they're trying to do things like this. And it's real confusing. I don't know if I'm just dumb, but this movie did not confuse me. (laughs) Well, what we kept seeing was possible outcomes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Because the the man he had the duel with could have been his friend mm-hmm. if things would have gone differently. True. But he had to die to allow Paul to become Moedib and join the tribe. And then right before the challenge, uh, Chani gives him a knife and that's part like fulfills one piece of the little flashback he has. He's like, I know there's a knife, but it must be given to me. And then, Oh, here's your knife. That's being given to you. It's yeah. like, maybe that, you know, Oh, the prophecies are now changing. Things mm-hmm. are coming to light. Mm hmm. Yeah, and um, we have a whole cool scene where, you know, they go to some station where there's like a terraforming station. Yep. That they decided not to terraform the planet because they found the spice, um, which was, again, I got all this stuff and it was barely like, it wasn't like a whole long explanation. It was like terraforming station, we're going to terraform, we found the spice, the end. You know, it's like, okay, I get it, cool. Terraforming station. Yeah, not like here's our lab and here's the station yeah. that does this and let yeah, me take exactly. you on the tour. Exactly, it was it was real simple. And you know, we meet the doctor who kind of went native, and you know, we have a final like Duncan Idaho sacrifices himself, which Paul saw in a vision. Yes, and that's it all. You got Jason Momoa. Use Jason Momoa, especially have him take out like fifteen guys yeah. before he goes down. That was great. It's such a different. The David Lynch one, I think that character just takes a dart to the head, and you know the end. <laughs> well, you, you want a real spoiler here? Go for it. We'll see him again. Oh, what? He oh. comes back. Oh, that's awesome. But now, now here's the thing. This is my now. This is my biggest problem with the movie. But it's not the movie's fault. But it is that we get all this stuff, and it's like, okay, Duncan Idaho, blah blah blah, and it's like, okay, now we're gonna go into the desert in the end, <laughs> and it's like, this movie just ended. Cut to black. It was like, what? No. And this is it's more of a I want more upset than yeah. a you know why are you ending it upset? Yeah. But it didn't. Uh, it was weird the way they ended it too, though. It didn't. It didn't hit like because. Lord of the Rings movies, those ones kind of like have points where they like end in the middle of the book, but don't end. Yeah. I mean, they, they end the movie. Yeah. Yeah. They, the end scene, I think they went about 10 minutes too long. Mm. Okay. Yeah. I think maybe where they crashed the ornithopter or came out of this, that you see them live. Yep. And maybe walking across the desert. That would have been a better ending than here after meeting the Fremen. They should have met the Fremen. In the, in the next movie? Next yeah. Movie. It is kind of like if then Lord of the Rings, they met Gollum at the end of the movie instead of the beginning of the next movie. I got you. Right? Yeah. Isn't exactly. that how it happens? I yeah. think yeah. so. It just, to me, it, it didn't end where right. I thought it should. It's it's definitely an abrupt ending. I w- I'm with Kevin that it is a logical sort of stopping point. Like if you're playing a tabletop game, that's the end of the session, but not the end of the campaign, you know? But I think having the Fremen there just as a little tease... 
means that they're going to take like it's letting us know that's where we're going next and it's going to be way more than you think it is it's not just these six people you just met yeah and because really we've only met those people and they had a combat and now they're all friends now it's like what does that mean what's a steak what's a like what you live in caves under the desert like we haven't seen any of that yet so there's still plenty more fremen stuff to come yeah i mean we get to see someone riding a worm oh so you know, cool it's just kind of like there but that's why it's crazy to me that he didn't know if he was gonna get to make a second one because this is like just ended this is like goes back to the that ralph bakshi lord of the rings there you go <laughs> like it just <laughs> he never got to finish it i was like oh my gosh you know in the alternate world where this went the other way and like this came out and they said nope we're not making the other one you there's be so many nerds like what happened <laughs> we need to know petitions all over the place i can see it yeah no season two of uh Firefly. Yeah, you know? yeah right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I know. But my only real complaint is like, they not, I guess this would have been a cop out, but they didn't label this Dune Part One. They just said, here's Dune. No, it, so, it said Part One. Oh, did it really? Okay. In the title scene, it said Dune. Ah. Uh-huh. Part One. Because all the posters and like the trailers for it, it's just like, not, not, not really a bait and switch, but I didn't have much indication. Like, I knew because it was you keeping up with the headlines before I was going to see it, that eventually there will be more and this is only part of it, but it went by too quick yeah. for being a two and a half hour movie. I hate those. I was like, give me more. Yeah. you know, that's the thing too. The pacing was great. Absolutely. This film. It was great. Yeah. It didn't feel that long. My first watch was actually on a plane and I had to like watch it with Aaron back. <laughs> <laughs> when I was doing some research for this, I saw a screenshot of the cutting sequence on somebody's computer. Okay. It was three hours and 20 minutes. Ooh, give me that director's cut. Yeah. Oh, wow. (laughs) Even though I I, I did go on a tear about Batman being three hours, uh, this, like, with the epic scope and the lore and the worlds that are there, it it has enough material to go that that deep. Mm -hmm. All right, before we get to pizza ratings, is there anything else anyone wants to add? Well, there were a couple things. Sure, go for it. There were a couple things missing, I thought. Okay. In the books, there's a dinner scene. And you can sort of see it happen a couple of times, like they were setting up the way they were dressed and walking around. Mm -hmm. They were going to have a state dinner, basically. That really set up Paul as a leader because his dad had to go away. Duke had to go away because of an emergency. Mm -hmm. Paul went up to the head of the table and was dealing with the water merchants and all the other people from around the planet. And he did it as an equal or as a as a duke. I got you. <laughs> Not as a little kid. Mm. That's true. We don't like we we do know that there's this whole prophecy sideline, but like seeing him be a member of the higher up for House Atreides, we don't get too much of that. Mm. Right. Because he, he's existing in his little sphere of of friends. Well and there was another one where he went to the war council. And they were talking about what to do with the smugglers. Mm -hmm. And Paul goes, well, tell you what, let's charge them a thief. To let them smuggle, they have to pay us. There you go. And somebody says, well, yeah, the emperor's going to love that. (laughs) You were accepting bribes. He goes, no, we'll bank it for the emperor, put it in the bank for under his name, and then we'll take it off our taxes on the back end as a cost of doing business. And everybody at the table sort of looks at him and goes, damn, that's a good idea. Mm. Again, that he was a lot more than he appeared to be. <laughs> there was a, that's the Mentats talking, and they they sort of put those on the back burner for now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, so Ralph, do you know what our pizza ratings are? Oh yes. All right. Oh, yes. All right. Ralph was well versed in the pizza rating. <laughs> so out of eight slices of pizza, eight being the best, 
Nothing being the worst, though we've never done that before. Yep. Um, add toppings to as you go to goose it. It's the loosest rating system ever. <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes would never be able to figure us out. <laughs> so guess first, or do you want to go first, Mikey? Guess first. All right. This is going to surprise you. Mm. Meat lovers oh. with everything. Oh. But only four slices. Only oh. four. Okay. I'll give you the other four. When part two comes out. Ah. Half, a, half a pizza for half a movie. I respect it. <laughs> yeah. I respect it. Half a pizza for half a movie. Like it. I, I was going to say the same thing. I, I was only taking a slice away for it being unfinished, but uh, totally I get it. So I will, I will, I'll say five just because, but I'll still, it's supreme. Five supreme for me. It'll be a full pizza once we get the rest of the part mm. two. But the cinematography is gorgeous. The music is amazing. There's so many heavy hitters here, but it just looks so cool. Like when I think sci-fi, I think of this movie. Slightly Geiger, a little bit of, you know, Game of Thrones, but in the future type vibe. And I really have, like, there's so many cool gadgets. There's a whole bunch of show, don't tell. Ugh, I really don't have too many complaints other than I want more. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, here's me. I loved this movie. Yes. I loved it. This is Probably one of the best sci-fi movies I've seen in years. There you go. I'm giving this a full eight slices. Cheese, though. Ah. Show me the rest of it, and I'll put all the other <laughs> toppings on. But but I liked it too much to even just give it half. I'm giving it a full eight slice cheese, and show me the rest, and you'll probably get all your toppings on there. There you go. Denise, Denis, Denis, Dennis. <laughs> Denis, Dennis. St. Dennis, St. Denis. What is it? <laughs> oh yeah this movie was good on so many different levels mm-hmm. you know the the cinematography you couldn't have asked for better i mean well look at the academy awards they went you know for special mm-hmm. effects for music you know right on down the line every single set of this movie was first class oh mm-hmm. for sure and there wasn't a weak area mm-hmm. i mean and my complaints are as a book lover. Gotcha. And you can't, you can never compare a movie to a book. If you want to re- read the book, read the book. Yeah. You watch you're it. Right. My, they, my wife watched the movie mm-hmm. and she liked it. And she's not a science fiction person. Mm-hmm. That's good. I mean, about as close as she gets is uh, Grogu. <laughs> 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 you know, and I'm trying to use that to suck her into Star Wars. <laughs> there you go. You know, the Marvel universe she likes. Yeah. But she walked out of the theater ready for part two. Awesome. Mm-hmm. So that says something. And like I say, the cinematography, the feeling of 2001 for the sound, mm-hmm. um, Lawrence of Arabia for those desert, wide open scenes. Absolutely. The um, special effects. I don't think anybody has done them as well in any movie. I think he set a new standard. Mm. And it's never really over the top. It's not like spectacle flashy. Here's all our CGI budget. Mm-hmm. It's like this is part of this world. Yes. So Dune done right from a Dune fan. That's it. Nice. Well, Ralph, we want to thank you so much for being here. Um, we got our pizza raised. We hey, make the rest of the movie, and we'll do another. We'll have you back once the second one comes out, Ralph, for sure. According to the internet, October twentieth, twenty twenty three. Okay, hopefully, I can last that long. <laughs> <laughs> oh, again, Ralph, we want to thank you so much for being here. Uh, we want to thank everyone so much for listening. Let us know what you think of this new Dune. Do you like it as much as we did? We really liked it a lot. Are you a huge David Lynch fan? Even though if you're a David Lynch fan, you shouldn't like those because he hates those. (laughs) 
the, or that one. Those. Yeah. Uh, did you like the series better? Should everyone just give up and just read the books? Let us know. You can hit us up on all our social medias at Assuming Pod, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can also Gmail us, assumingpositions at gmail.com. Dot com. Every week I ask Mikey, how would you like the Gmail formatted? Uh, type it so it looks like you're using the voice at me, so it's a command. <sighs> Be like, here's my I agree. I agree. What happened? Why am I sitting in my computer at two o'clock in the morning? <laughs> oh. So again, we want to thank you so much for listening. Make sure you like, subscribe, give it all the thumbs, give it all the stars, tell your friends. We also want to let you know we are going to be out at Acon twenty twenty two. That's gonna be June third through fifth in Dallas area. Look it up. Uh, we'll be out there doing Nerd Talk Radio and running around causing problems. Uh, so come on out. We want to give you fist bumps and make you smile. So again, uh, thanks so much for listening. Uh, we also want to thank That Guy Brad for doing our announcing, Not Scott Productions for our equipment, Jazzar for our music, and we hope you guys have a great week. This movie makes me like sand. Sorry, Anakin. You must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. <laughs>